Hello and welcome to the latest episode from Tech Salescraft. Our mission is simple. We want to bring you exclusive insight from some of the brightest and most influential minds in the tech sales scene. We want this podcast to be your weekly go-to for inspiration. And if this is your first time listening to the show, please subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest releases. Welcome to the latest episode from Tech Salescraft. And today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Matthew Parker. Matthew, welcome. Uh, hi, how are you today? Very good, thank you. Very good. The, the podcast is aimed at bringing industry experts from the sales world together to provide insight into the journeys that they have gone on. And, um, and Matt has had a pretty impressive journey. And one, one of the main reasons that I was really pleased to have Matt on the show is that you have gone from the sales side being a, a, a sales exec to a sales leader and moving across into the uh, into the CEO world. And so your journey and story, I'm sure, is going to be fascinating. So hopefully everybody's got a pen and paper to hand because I'm pretty sure there's going to be some interesting stuff to take note on this. But in a way of, of getting started in the, in the best sense, do you want to give people a walkthrough of who you are right now and, and talk through who Babel are? Thanks, Jim. So, yeah, Matt Parker, I'm the Chief Exec at Babel. We are a private equity-backed comms, cyber, IT, reseller, stroke expert. We are 180 people across 180 locations in the UK at the moment, given everything that's going on, but bases in the south, in the Midlands and in the north. So so London, uh, Burton, Newcastle, helping organisations improve efficiency around internal and external communications and collaboration, helping organizations have more efficient, more profitable conversations with customers through our contact center business and and Babel Cyber, um, where we we help organizations build uh, security, keep everything safe, but also build resilience around their business. So so everything cloud-based, everything about doing things better and doing things more efficiently. 3,000 customers. I've been CEO here for just over five years, joined in February uh, 2016. Uh, And I've been in and and around the the running or being part of a team running tech businesses of one sort or another for 20-odd years in public private VC and private equity-backed businesses from, from startups through scale-ups through successful growth plays and, and some not-so-successful growth plays. And, and as you said, you might, I started my job as, a, as, as what, what I now call an individual contributor yeah. or, or a bag carrier yeah. out there selling stuff, working in, in office equipment a long, long time ago in, in Scotland. And I've gone on a, an interesting and entertaining journey through working out what I'm good at and what, what I'm really, really not good at and trying to, trying to, 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 to grow and learn along the way. When we spoke earlier this week, you, you also spoke about a lot of experience in the acquisition world and you've found yourself probably getting exposed to a lot of different businesses and, and how they've been run and set up what type of things have you learned from looking at those businesses and seeing their journey and particularly associating it to the sales teams that they've had and maybe the business that, and revenue that they've been generating 
you know, we, we've done 10 acquisitions at Babel in the last just over three years. We did a, a management buyout backed by LDC in October mm-hmm. 2017 and a secondary buyout backed by Graphite with the LDC reinvesting in November last year. Mm-hmm. And, and since October, in fact, we did, the, we did the, the deal with LDC in October 17. We did our first acquisition in June 18. So in, so in less than three years, we've done 10 acquisitions. The business is four and a half times the size it was when, when, when we did that original deal. And prior to that, through my time at Stepstone and Lemesse, I was involved in another, another 10 deals. Uh, and then, you know, you, you add in the various other bits of buyouts and disposals and stuff like that. There's, there's 24, 25 transactions that have gone on there. And if I, if I look at growth and sales, or, I mean, there's, you know, what, what have I learned? I, you know, I think, I think some people would say not a lot, but I'll, I'll tell you what I, what, I, what I think I've noticed along the yeah. way is that, you know, sales organizations and the investment in sales organizations in the vast majority of businesses that I've got involved in in one sort or another has always been an area that, that in my view, has been underinvested. Mm-hmm. If you look at my, you know, if I look at the last 20 odd years, a period of success, yeah. a period of whatever the opposite of success is, and then a period of success, yeah. I think you, you would describe that. And what the, the businesses that I've been running have always been very good at adding that growth element to anything. Well, I'm saying anything that acquired most of what we acquired. You, you don't get everything right, or certainly I don't get everything right yeah. every time. But if, you know, if, if eight out of 10 transactions, you manage to do a deal and then help what you buy grow more quickly afterwards. You know, if I, and if I look at one of the, the very early deals we, we did at, uh, at Stepstone where we bought a technology business, a really nice technology recruitment business called EasyCruit up in, recruitment tech business, EasyCruit up in Oslo. And, and four years after we bought it, it was 10 times the size it was when we, when we, when we bought it. This idea of of adding sales energy for what for want of a better expression, I'm I'm not sure uh, to, to anything. You, you, you know, mo- most of most of the businesses that that we get involved in have got something special about them. Yeah. But what what we tend what I tend to find is that most of those have got to a point where either their growth has slowed and their other growth has stopped. And it, yeah. it tends to be because of, a, of an, an inability or a reluctance to, to invest and invest both financially, but invest in terms of giving people ownership, responsibility and accountability for what they're doing. You know, hiring, hiring a sales director. So, so you're a, a founder of a business. I talked to you about this the other day yeah. that no, nobody will ever accuse me of being being an inventor. So yeah. I, you know, I've, yeah. you know, I the, the the idea as part of my brain doesn't get doesn't get open very often, yeah. uh, mainly because what comes out there isn't good. Yeah. But um, you know, but but so I would and and I would debate whether I'm an entrepreneur or not. If yeah. I, you know, my my interpretation. So 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 I'm not really a go and start something, come up with an idea and then take it. What, where my abilities are best put to use are taking somebody else's ideas and helping take those to market and help grow them. And I think that 
the, the, the what we see a lot of the time and not all of the time, there's always exceptions to this, is that the owners and founders of businesses typically don't want to let go of that side of it. So that so they'll be very they'll be very, very good at, at one thing and won't have anybody else in their business that's any better at them at doing the, the business development side of it. So they automatically fall into it. And, yeah. and there, there are stages of the process where that is a hundred percent the right thing to do. Yeah. But there is a point when you I think you have to recognize that there are other people that can do that better. Yeah. better than you can and it's a better use of your time and the, and the danger is that you you're expending disproportionate amounts of energy trying to do something that that doesn't sit in in your skill set i mean don't don't ever ask me to write a piece of code because yeah. because you know i wouldn't know where to start and you know i've yeah. told you the story about really really smart tech people trying to do sales pitches yeah. and not under but but it's simple all you do is stand in front of a powerpoint presentation and talk yeah so well, well no it's not yeah you know there's there there are so you know i could say the same thing well all you do is just put some code into a thing and it works don't you yeah. is that that so you know trying to to give and and trying to put that resource in place that can can deliver the progress and drive the progress that, that, that you need over there. And then investing in that, not just financially, but investing in it in faith. Yeah. You know, say, say, salespeople in my experience, you know, again, we talked about this, uh, this when we first met. My experience of individual contributors, stroke, quarter carrier, stroke, salespeople, whatever you want to call them, is they take time yeah. to deliver results. You know, there, there, is, there is not, if there was a magic formula, everybody would know what it was yeah. and we'd all be doing it. Or, or if there was a magic formula and I knew what it was, I wouldn't be doing this job. I'd be going and selling that magic formula to everybody. Yeah. So money, you got to spend money on it. You've got to put faith in it. You've got to be patient and you've got to let people do their jobs. You know, it's, you know, the, so the, the, this idea that, I'm going to bring somebody in because they've got a set of skills yeah. and then tell them how to do their job. Yeah. And, it, and it, it happens. And I, I understand 100% why it happens. Yeah. You know, I, I talk a lot about, you know, I, I think that, you know, small startup scale up businesses stop making progress for the very reason that they made progress before that all the things that got them to a place are the things yeah. that are stopping them taking the next steps on the journey. A couple of really important points that you touched on there, which I want to, to dive into separately. One of them was the hiring of salespeople and the, and the, and the ramp up time. And the other bit is, is about realizing that there are, better people out there to come and, and and do certain functions but but also where in your mind and from your experience is that actually where we see some founders who who do the selling and I, I kind of believe in in many instances that nobody will be able to sell a product better than the founder and the person who originated the idea but they quickly need to move out of the way and not be the sales leader and bring somebody in who can replicate a sales process because let's face it 90 percent of founders are not salespeople. they didn't come from a sales background they probably came from business or, or product at what point would you say that a, a a founder needs to realize that he needs to 
let go and bring somebody in? So I think you, you, you said something there, James, about there's nobody better to sell a product than a founder, somebody who invented it. I would argue that there's nobody better to explain an idea yeah. and explain how they're trying to solve a problem than a founder and an inventor yeah. in the same way. And so, so that's number one. There's nobody better than that. I would argue that there are much better people to sell it because explaining why you did something and how it works is not selling. The second thing, you also made the point that, that, that founders aren't salespeople generally. Yeah. You also find that salespeople aren't founders. So that, you know, the two things, you know, and you know, I, I think about this idea that the, the reason that, that sale, really good salespeople tend not to be, and that always exceptions, yep. tend not to be founders as they don't need to be. Yeah. Because people will pay them lots of money for doing for for selling what they've invented and what they've founded. So I I would say that the point when you need to think about bringing somebody in to sell stuff is when you need to sell stuff. Yeah. When you need to explain things and explain an idea and explain a concept, you're the right person to do that. When you're actually going out there and pitching yeah. and trying to win, and this idea of of selling. You're not selling, you're persuading somebody else to do something. You're persuading somebody to buy. And it's old school, but, yeah. but that is what sales is about. It's taking people on a journey and getting them to a place where they want to do something. Nobody's yeah. going to buy something they don't want to buy. Or, you know, um, so when you move from the explaining what and why to talking to somebody to persuade them to buy, that's when you need to be thinking about bringing somebody in to do that for you. And it, it's, you know, I, I think in, in this country, we have a very different view. And I think it's changing, just to be yeah. clear. So if I think about, about the early part of my career when we talked about salespeople being reps, I was brought up in, a, in, 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 a, in an environment where, you know, that wasn't a professional, but being a sales rep wasn't a, yeah. prof wasn't a profession. I think you know solution sales and account management and all of those things are are, are really positive yeah. career paths. And it, you know if it is you know it, it is the the most rewarding of careers if it's something you enjoy and you're something that you're good at and and you you learn every single day from that. But trying to you know the expression trying to trying to teach an old dog new tricks. You know if if you're good at that, do that. Yeah. Yeah. And then get somebody else to do that. So you're going to explain explain that to the salespeople, and then get the salesperson uh, or your your sales resource, your sales leadership, whatever it is, yeah. to find a way of turning that into a, a compelling value proposition, which they are able to articulate. So, from if if you're looking at a, a pre-seed or a seed business, you're effectively when the product is ready to go out to sell, rather than just talking to your nearest and dearest mates to have a look at something, see how it works. But it's when you've got a proper value proposition that you can go out and sell. At that point, you feel you should be having sales experts in to take that mantra on, to take that product out to market. I think you materially increase your likelihood of success yep. by having people who know how to do what it is you want to do. Yeah, you know, I, I I would be, you know, again, I tell the story about you know I I ended up in my first tech sales job because somebody told me that they'd seen this fantastic product, but the the product was as good as the as the sales pitch was bad. 
And this assumption that if I can build something this clever, I must be able to persuade you to buy it. Yeah. And, and, and people departing the room because they just lost the will to live and nobody was going to buy it. No matter how good it was, nobody was going to buy it because of what was what the, the, the painful experience around that. So you've, and you know, you've got, you know, minimum viable product. Yeah. You've got something that you can actually, that people are prepared to pay for. Yeah. So this, this idea of something that exists, you know, what's a proven product, something that does what it's supposed to do, that you can deliver to somebody. Yeah. And when you send them an invoice, they'll be prepared to pay you. At that point, I would argue that you should be thinking about investing in the biz dev part of your organization. Yeah. Ap- apart from anything else, I, I, you know, I was talking to... I was talking to the founder of a business that we acquired earlier this year, yesterday. I had lunch with them yesterday. And um, they their background is not dissimilar to, to mine. They, they start as an individual quota carrier, a different industry, but individual yeah. quota carrier. And when you do that job, it is all consuming. Yeah. It's all, I, tr- trust me, it's all you think about. Yeah. You know, and, and people think it's weird. You know, I've, I've got lots and lots of all my friends, I, not all my friends, lots of my friends I went to university, I went to school with, studied accounts at university and then went to work for, for Arthur Young, KPMG. All of, and I remember we'd go to the pub in the evening and I'd still be thinking about work and talking about work. And the last thing they wanted to talk about was that. Yeah. And because you, you because of the way those sort of processes work, you're constantly thinking about, you know, how do I position this? What did I do wrong there? How do I do that? What do I need to do tomorrow? Because because everything you do has an impact on the likelihood of that customer yeah. deciding to do something with you. And yeah. and and I'm 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 doing a product management meeting. I'm doing a product marketing meeting. I'm doing a board meeting. I'm re- I'm preparing a document for for investment. I'm doing this. I'm doing a or oh, and I need to phone that customer to see if yeah. they've made a decision yet. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, I think about. You know, making that call to try and you know, you talk about closing a deal to to get to the point right. I I you know I want to know. I I'll spend an hour on that beforehand, thinking yeah. about right. Okay, what? Well, so I, how am I going? What am I going to say? How am I going to get the conversation where I want to get it to? So so I know one way or the other. So prep that this scenario, that scenario, the next scenario, right? And how am I going to deal with all of those things? Walking out of a board meeting or out of a product management meeting or walking out of a, you know, we've just had a problem, we've got a bug that we need to sort in a product that we built or this isn't working or, or whatever, a production meeting and trying to do that call without prep. It's all about increasing your chances of yeah. success. So that's really interesting. So really the sort of like the message to, to founders in that stage is that when you are budgeting and you're planning the journey of where, where you're going, you need to include that sales higher as early as possible is when the product is ready to to go out there to a leave you to do the job that you were there to do and let them head out so so i'm going to push it a bit further on that james i'm going to say you need to think about that investment in your business development part of the organization if you just think about it as a hire yeah do it next month we'll do it next month it's just a hire this is an investment in the success of your business you you need you need a product you need a go-to-market strategy and you know we do, you need a way of executing against that strategy yeah. and then you need a way of delivering the product afterwards so so the customer will pay the bills and then you need you know these are all fairly simple 
pieces in going to say supply chain, but it isn't what I mean. But the, you know, in that process, that that's the bit. You know, I worked for the guy who was my mentor as a C- CEO, who's who was a guy called Colin Tenick, who taught me so much in the in the seven or eight years that I worked with him. And he, he always used to say to me, you don't need to have the best product to be the most successful business in your sector. You need to have the best sales organization. And then he said, just ask. And I, I'll leave the rest of it blank because yeah. we all know loads of tech companies that didn't have the best product, but executed best on the sales yeah. side of things. And you know, when, when, when you go and talk to investors, they, they will ask you about what you, they know. They know that that's the difference. You know, that again, you know, that there are exceptions to every rule, but you've got this brilliant product. If you can't sell it, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter yeah. so, so how are you going to do that? How are you going to get, how do you get it in front of people? So in, you know, it's an investment in growth. It's an investment in success. It's an investment in execution. It's not a sales hire. Because the minute you make it think about it as a sales hire, you'll find a way of spending as little money on it as you can. Yeah. You'll hire the wrong person or the wrong people. You'll do the wrong thing. And then you'll wonder why it hasn't worked. And I've, ne- I've never, ever hired a salesperson and thought, yeah, I've paid that person too much money. I, I, I was going to lead exactly onto probably that point you were going to there is that you're saying that if you've got some seed fund, then you need to ring fence a part of it for when you get to the part where you're investing in your in your sales team or your sales business. Or are you saying that once you get to that point, if you're at seed, that you should look to get some more investment in to plug it in? Because you're the, the bit where I kind of think where I see businesses making a mistake is they'll go to get a salesperson to bring revenue to pay for themselves. And I'm kind of like, right, that's totally the wrong mindset at the level that you guys are at because there's going to be a ramp up stage, uh, which we'll touch on into in, in a moment. They suddenly think that if you're a salesperson and I'm paying you X amount of pounds, that they're just suddenly going to turn a tap on and the business is going to come in. So, so yeah, do you, do you suggest they ring fence it or they go and they get investment extra money into the business to get that sales bit right when they kick it off? So I think you have to, right, ring fence is a good way of thinking about it. That, yeah. that, that's an investment that's sunk. Yeah. And it's not what I spent last month. It's what I'm going to spend over the next 18 months. Yeah. That, I am, that money is not being used for anything other than that. Yeah. If I, I get, if I look back at, I, I joined a business called iGrasp in 2000, six founders and me. And I was their sales hire that went in there. I am, I don't know this, but I'm fairly sure there'll have been times of thinking, when, when's this guy going to do anything? Yeah. You know, we're, we're paying him all this money every month and there's no orders coming in. It was a year, it was just over a year before we, I closed the first deal that I sourced. I helped other stuff happen, yeah. but would they have managed to do that anyway? Probably. But but just a year a year and three weeks after my first day, I got my first email from a customer to say, right, we, we've, we've decided to. It was, uh, it was a lady at a business called FreeServe. Sent, sent me an email to say, look, we've gone through a process and we've decided to select you as our preferred partner and we want to move forward to contractual yeah. things. That was a, a year of money that they spent. And, and yeah. you know, 
I, that that was a lot of money at the time for that business. Yeah. It was a lot of money for me. But that happened, and then the following week, Thomas Cook uh, gave us gave us a call to say that they wanted to do something with us. A week after that, somebody else did. A week after that, somebody else did. Yeah. And and all of a sudden, it, you know, it's 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 not the it's not the cold water tap that's running; it's the bath yeah. tap that's running. Yeah. But up to that point, and and they, I, Andy and Damien, who were the two. They were they were the two biggest shareholders in that business. Had, as I understand it, had made a decision that we're going to. This is an investment. This yeah. is not. A, let's try it for a couple of months, and if Matt doesn't start delivering, and it, you know, if the, I I am convinced to this day, if they hadn't stuck with it, that wouldn't have happened, and the business wouldn't have ended up being the success. And it it was a massive, massive success. Yeah. But assume you've spent the money. Assume it's gone. Don't ever think about that's really expensive because it because if it delivers, it will be the best money you spend in your business. You are probably from a a sales leader's perspective, a dream CEO, because you get sales, you understand what goes on, the processes that are involved, and the lag time that's there. If we look with your knowledge. Um, and experience in your cap on what we see a lot of is that we we work with a lot of series a and series b companies and what tends to happen through no fault of anybody's just way the market is a an organization will get some funding it will be x amount of million pounds off of that x amount of million pounds to get to realize the valuation that they've got from a investor or a group of investors where it seems to be now you have to hit a certain revenue point in the following 12 months nine times out of ten the sales team that you have is either not capable because the investment wasn't really put in pre-series a or is well undermanned undermanned so we will normally come in and we will we will put in five or six salespeople. Now, I know my heart of hearts that no matter how good those salespeople are, you're not hitting the quote, you're not hitting the number. And panic starts to happen. People lose their jobs through no fault of their own or more of a fact of a process of what's happened in terms of getting a valuation and an investment has kind of basically snookered the sales team to be able to achieve what what they're doing. So from your experience, if you were to walk through a, a, a founder who's approaching that Series A funding, that if he's going for the big bucks, what he should be either promising a VC of what they deliver or not promising, or about getting a sales team that is put together before the funding arrives, which is difficult when you haven't got the money. On balance, what would you advise a um, uh, a founder who's entering that phase, who's probably likely to over-promise on what he can deliver over the following 12 months based on the sales team that he has in place? So, so the obvious piece of advice is not to over-promise, yeah. which is e- easier said than done. Yeah, and you know when when we you know in my experience one of the one of the biggest failings of 
founders getting involved in sales processes is they end up having to build and deliver product that isn't part of the original product strategy. Yeah. Because the answer to almost every question for somebody who owns a product is when somebody says, can it do this? The answer is almost always yes. Yeah. And the the answer is almost always yes. You you can make anything do anything. Is, Is that the right thing for the business? So, you know, you've got, you've got situations where, uh, saying yes and over promising becomes you know becomes yeah. a habit and I think you know I, I, I you know when, when we're acquiring businesses I talk to sellers early on about the imbalance from an anxiety perspective between sellers and buyers yeah and I think it's the same when you're looking particularly for for, for VC funding yeah because the impact that an investment has on a founder is materially different. So that transaction, you know, you, the assumption is most transactions have a balance yeah. and you, you do something and it impacts both people to a similar, there's a similar level of impact for both people in the transaction. You know, with somebody selling a business, the emotional impact around that, and it's the same with it, with an, an investor investee relationship. So number one, th- think about, what's practical and deliverable and and be able to explain you know you're a founder you're good at explaining why you think something yeah doesn't mean i'm good at explaining why you should buy it but i'm good at explaining why you think something so so take the the skills you have around that and and the the passion you have about what you do and and turn that into you know this is what i think the answer is this is why i think that's the answer and these are the things that could stop that happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one of one of the the, the classic scenarios that that I, that I would ask you to think about is right. Uh, I've I've got my money. I've got my million dollars. So I've got a million dollars to spend, and I need to get to this number in twelve months' time to be able to go and 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 raise my next round of funding. Now, bear in mind that that's never binary. You miss yeah. it by a dollar doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Yeah. So if you miss it, if I miss it by one and it's okay, does that mean I can miss it by two? Yeah. What you have to be able to do in my experience is demonstrate progress. Yeah. Which means because you know, again, I, I work with a I've worked with lots and lots of really smart investors, but one of them who always said, you know what, it doesn't matter if you miss the numbers by a quarter, because yeah. all you've lost is three months. Yeah. You know what? If it's gone catastrophically wrong and you've made bad decisions and, and you're going that way and I think you should be going that way, it's a yeah. it's a different conversation. So so the point being, and, and you always have the well, what if the cash runs out conversation? Yeah. If you're making progress and and people you believe and your investors believe there will always be a solution to the cash running out problem because 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 as you get closer and closer to the potential return people's appetite to follow their money increases come up with something that you think's a plan take a practical view of what needs to happen for that to happen yeah. uh, and what could go wrong yeah. and what that means so you know if, if you're wrong about the product you're wrong about the market that's hard to recover from that if you're wrong about the length of a sales cycle that's fixable yeah. if you're wrong about the vertical that you think is best to sell into or where you position, those things are all fixed where you got the first two right. So so that that's the, the first piece. Have a have a plan that you can explain why and why not. Yeah. The, the second thing I would say to you is 
when you're thinking about measuring salespeople's performance, you know, it's it's not about the the contract signed. It's about activity yeah. and attitude and focus. And you know what what are they doing every day? And I, you know, I've I've had my moments where, well, what are you doing? Do you know what? I spoke to this person, this person, this person today. These are the four deals that I'm working on, and this is what I think's happening with them. Right. Okay. So it sounds like you know what you're talking about. Yeah. So you know, I, you, we we do it with we do it with salespeople in our business. So and I think they all know this that. I'm much more interested in behaviors yeah. and what they know about what they're doing and why they think something's going to happen, watch your, you know, then watch a number. And it's yeah. 70% to target. Okay, yeah, 70% because something fell in your lap. Yeah, yeah. You know, what I'm interested in is what did you do yesterday? Yeah. I did three meetings yesterday, Matt. Right. Who did you do your three meetings with? This person, this person, that person. Right. Tell me what the follow up is in that one. Well, I'm doing this, this, and this. And you're hearing all, you know, you've got somebody who is in control. Yeah. Now, they, they, I, you know, I, I would argue that the individual quota carriers have almost zero ability to get somebody to do something more quickly than they want to do it. it, yeah. it, it you know, you, you talk about bringing stuff forward, but you, you only have a certain number of, of levers. And, you know, we, we, you know, I've, I've worked for years and years and years in, you know, monthly, the end of the month, what's the end of the month, the end of the month. A buyer doesn't give a shit about yeah. the end of the month. You know, yeah. we've, I've got a special deal for you, James, as long as we sign it at the end of the month. So is that yeah. deal not available the next day? Yeah. No, definitely not. First of the month, can I have the same deal? Yeah, of course. Yeah, because yeah, nothing changes that day, that special deal. Now, we, we appreciate that, that retailers have sale and on re, online retail, and we, we all know, but, the, but this is different. So, yeah. so that deal's always available, and, and everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. So, you know, thinking about pipeline, what have you got, what's, you know, and, you know, my, my guess is lots and lots of the stuff you're doing is around recurring revenue-type businesses, yeah. So, the, so the days of having to get a large contract in before then, you know, unless, unless you're Nasdaq listed and you're talking about bookings yeah. as a way of push, forcing your share price, so I get that. But the vast majority of businesses that, that you and I are talking about, what you're doing is you're getting somebody to agree to spend money over an ongoing period subject to you delivering a product. So the impact on your P&L of the 31st versus the first is, is almost non-existent. Yeah, you know that yeah. there's an argument that you can deliver it a day earlier, so you get you get your first bit of revenue one day earlier. But the reality is, in in the grand scheme of things, it it, it doesn't have an impact. So knowing that somebody is able to to show you, and and I, I I'm always I'm always a skeptic about automated forecasting approaches to to sales performance. Yeah. I. I I don't know how that doesn't, you know, again, what I worked with a, an engineer at one stage uh, who always used to talk about, if you can't think something through logically, it probably means it isn't possible. So if you can automate forecasting. Yeah. Um, now, there are times when you get to such a grand scale that you can make assumptions and it will, yeah. it will give you a decent answer. 
But but at that stage, lots of it's based on I, I think I think we can make this happen. Yeah. Now it almost always takes longer than you think it's going to take. You know, yeah. if I think about our MA. Uh, M&A stuff that we do and, and that kickoff. I always say to people, this will take longer than I'm telling you it's going to take. Yeah. I will do everything I can to do it within X number of weeks. But yeah. you know, recruitment, you know this, recruitment processes, no matter how long somebody says they're going to take to hire somebody, it always takes a bit longer. Always, yeah. always. Yeah. And it's, you know, but we give ourselves deadlines so that we only miss them by four weeks. So it only took four months instead of the 12 months it would have taken if I hadn't given ourselves a deadline. So, you know, so going, going back to the original question, you know, have a plan that you can explain, you can explain how you got to the conclusion and make sure that you are very transparent about what could go wrong. Yeah. These are all the things and these are the checkpoints along the way, but, but we all need to understand that I am not in control of when somebody signs a contract, best endeavours. And and the second thing is it's getting that resource in place and and you know give them space, let them work, but but make sure that you are you're not measuring them based on results, you're measuring them based on behaviors as you go along. Because it yeah, you know, my 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 view is experienced individual quarter carriers, you don't know whether they're gonna make it or not until you're six quarters in. You know, somebody delivers in the first month, that doesn't mean they're good at their job. It means something happened. And yeah, totally agree. There's that scary statistics that 20% of businesses that receive Series A funding will go on to reach Series B funding. So there's a huge amount of organisations that fall by the wayside when you look at the, the billions of money that's invested into tech companies alone every year. Do you feel that is based on talent that has been brought into the business to take it to that next level, in particularly what's happened around the sales engine? Because if if investment goes in at Series A, there is obviously a product market fit. There's obviously a product that works. They would have had a number of, of customers who are in there and, and going. Something triggers at that point. That means only 20% go to the next bit and for me it seems obvious that it can only be personnel and to me the most critical people at that point is the new salespeople that you are bringing on board would you agree with that and if you do how would knowing from your experience how would you counter that to make sure that it didn't happen to an organization you were in uh, oh gosh so do i agree with that so sort of so yeah. I think it is a major contributor to your likelihood of success. And I, again, I'm going to quote an old boss of mine who always talked about, you know, take luck and timing yeah. over, over, over skill and talent anytime, yeah. Matt, anytime. <laughs> so stuff just happens sometimes. Now, yeah. now stuff tends to happen. So they, 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 they you know, stuff, good things tend to happen to good people. Yeah. Right. So I'm I'm gonna argue that good things tend to happen to people who do good things. Yeah. And I, I I don't mean greater good things, but if you if you hire the right caliber of salespeople for what you need done, if yeah. you invest the right amount of money in it and you and you allow them to do their job rather than 
they, you know, there is no point in a salesperson doing the job the way that a founder wants it done. Yeah. If you if you want it done that way, you do it and get yeah. someone else to do the other stuff. So I think that there will there will be a decent chunk of those eighty percent that fall that by the wayside. Yeah. That there'll be lots of other reasons. Yeah. One of the what I would argue and what I would agree with is in terms of things that you have control over, this is probably the thing that is the the most likely predictor of success yeah. if you get it right. Yeah. So take out all the stuff that you don't your market. Da, 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 da. So you know stuff that that you can manage. Yes, yes, I would agree. So so the stuff you have control over. Yes, I would agree that that is the thing that's going to have the biggest impact in terms of how you increase the likelihood that you get that right. I would go back to to the earlier advice around having a plan, having a set of objectives, being mindful of the fact that you're investing in the future of the business. You're not hiring salespeople. You're investing in the future of the business and getting that resource in place will have an impact. And if you get it right, and you have the right sort of person and, and you, you recognize that, that that doesn't come cheap, you increase the likelihood of your success. Yeah. You know, I, I, I talk, I've talked to founders. So lots and lots of the businesses that we buy don't have a sales function to speak of. You tend to find, and you tend to find the founders are selling a bit. They know all of the customers. They'll have one person, they'll have a couple of other people doing stuff. They don't have a, a structured sales organization that's going out and driving growth. And, and is and it, and that there's lots of good reasons for that. It's hard. It's a hard, and it's hard to do it in a really, you know, having a sales team of two or three is really hard. You know, you, do you need a sales manager? Not really. So do you need the right sort of person? But when you get to the 10 or 12, I think it gets easier as you get bigger because you've yeah. got more resource, you can take more risks, you can be more patient, you can you can give people more space. I, I talk a lot about, I talk a lot, obviously, but I talk a lot about you know, bigger, bigger bets. Yeah. As you get bigger, you can take bigger bets with businesses. You can take more risks. I think the, the, the issues that we've seen you don't. I, look, I'm a firm believer that you don't need a, a VP of sales until you've got about two million um, annual recurring revenue. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a massive believer from talking to and seeing success that a VP of sales is brought into scale, and that's it. It's not brought into book business as the as a main role. Where I see it becomes a challenge for a founder to to manage two or three salespeople is where they go cheap and they go young yeah. because they think they're probably doing it out. Like that's completely... Or, or, or they go cheap and old. Yeah. So that, and, you know, I, you know, be careful about what I say here, but you think, right, okay, this person looks like they've got the experience, but I can get them for half the price that I've got yeah. for somebody else. Yeah. And and if, if ever there is a job where you get what you pay for, it, yeah. it's individual course of carriers yeah. because you know you know th- this idea so you, you must you must see them all the time cvs i've been 120 of target in every job i've ever done yeah. and i've had 10 jobs over the last 11 years yeah i don't believe you no because if you were that good 
every single one of those companies yeah. would have done everything they possibly could to keep you because yeah. you're making them loads and loads of money. Yeah. And you're making what you're doing is you're making the owner of that business look really smart, yeah. really, really smart because they are doing something that most people can't do. Yeah. So, you know, that the, the, the hardest we, we've, we, we as a business have got to the stage where um, we, when we, when we, when we, when we make acquisitions, we look at the the biz dev resource within that, and we you tend to find that they've got a couple of people who are really good, not yeah. a team of people, yeah. and we take that couple of people and try and persuade them that they can they can be part of a something bigger and something a bit more structured that that has the potential for them, because because hiring hiring really good people is really hard. So, go on that that leads on to uh, something else I wanted to ask you. I have a community of chief revenue officers and VP of sales. There's about 110 of them um, in there. When talking to them about, if you ask them what their three biggest challenges are, I would say around about 95% of them will cite getting hiring right more often as their biggest challenge. Why do you think that is? Because it's really, really, really hard. It's really hard, number one. And number two is people don't put enough time and energy into it. It's not a quick thing and it's not an easy thing to do. You know, I've, I've spent years and years and years getting that wrong, James. Yeah. Really getting it wrong. And, you know, big, bigger bets is, is, is the way that I think probably I've sold. I mean, trying to work out in an interview whether somebody's going to be able to sell or not. If you, again... If you can do that, you've got something magical about you. You know, you you can look at a CV, you can speak to other people. You know, the the question for me is is always why is a salesperson looking for a job? And and why are they prepared to leave what they're doing? Because if they're really good, they they will be being looked after. Yeah. And and you know, I I I've seen it with a lot, you know. This idea, we pay sales. Say we pay sales. I, I don't like salespeople. We pay them too much. I hear that from founders. They earn too much money, and you know my view is salespeople can never earn too much money. Yeah. Because you know you put a compensation plan in place that rewards success. I again I go back to Colin as 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 my as as my boss for a long time. I remember one of probably the best individual contributor I ever worked with. I hired by chance. I, yeah. I went to a customer that I'd want to deal with and said to them, you must have spoken. We were trying to hire somebody. I went to went to went to talk to Alex Klein. I said, it's all right, Alex Klein. I said, Alec, um, I came and I pitched to you and I know I was one of six people that pitched in the industry. Yeah. Who was the next best sales guy? And he said, that guy there. And I phoned him up and I said, look, I want to talk to you. We sat down, we had lunch. He came to work for me and and, and Rob was st- still the mo- the best and the most productive IC that I ever worked with. And it's try- trying to find people like that. And and he, he, he had a quarter, about three or four years after we, we started working there, he had a quarter where his, his, his commission, his bonus was 50 grand. Something for a quarter, yeah. and I remember thinking, "Shit, what that that's going to hurt my P and L." Yeah. So first thing I did was I went to see my boss. I went to see my CEO, and I said, "Look, 
you know, I know I've told you that my profit number for my my contributions, the word I'm looking for, we used yeah. to have a line called, my contributions are going to be this, this quarter. I've just worked out, uh, Rob's closed the deal at the end of the quarter and his his bonus for this quarter is going to be 50 grand and that's going to have a number. Colin's response was, that's brilliant. He said, of all the things you could ever tell me, Matt, that's the best thing because we're paying him that because I know the comp plan works yeah. and it delivers value for the business. So, so you know, and and I, I was concerned about it and yeah. it, it taught me a lesson that, you know, if you've got your comp plan right and these guys, you know, don't ever underestimate the impact that that they can that that they will have on your business. And I and I've worked with CEOs. I don't I don't like bonus plans for salespeople because it's not fair. Because everybody wins the deal. Yeah. I said, do you know what? You, everybody does win the deal, but you won't win the deal without that person. Yeah. So pay them. Otherwise, you won't hire people who will deliver success to your business. You mentioned time and. I think most people in business will say that they're time poor. How do you encourage sales leaders to spend more time on hiring? And what's um, from spending time on it? I don't know if I know the answer to that, James, if, if I'm honest. Um, I think that... Getting to them to think about what, what they're going to do and making, you know, and th- this is not just an issue for, for sales leadership. It, it is hiring managers everywhere. Yeah. I don't have time to review the CVs. I want somebody else to do it. Yeah. How, how can you not have time to decide whether you want to see somebody or not? Yeah. That doesn't, you know, that, that answer doesn't make sense to me. Have you prepped for the interview? Have you read it through? Have you thought about what you want to do about it? So, you know, coaching, explaining the the value of making, you know, if, if, if every decision you make is a little bit better by doing more, by, by thinking it through, that will have, you know, the, the, the whole marginal gains and stuff like that, you know, iterative improvement and, and, you know, so how do you persuade somebody to do it? You persuade somebody to talk, do it by explaining, explaining why you think that, that, that this is something that's really important. I, I think we're all guilty of it. So, so just to be clear, I'm sitting here, you know, this, there's a bit of, you know, do, do as I say, not as yeah, I yeah. do here. Yeah. You know, there, there I, are no, I'm sure there are lots. In fact, I know there are lots of interviews that I've done that I haven't been as prepped as I should be. Yeah. And at times, I've you know, the minute you start, you think, I wish, I wish I'd put a bit more effort into this. Just to flip that a little bit, because as I say, there's, there's a 25% churn rate from most businesses globally from a sales team within a tech organisation. And most leaders will say that they want to get hiring right more often. How much of that do you think that they've actually made a bad decision and how much of it is actually they've onboarded them badly and actually set them up to fail based on the fact that they've just given them a seat and asked them to uh, go and deliver? So I think that more, more of the latter and less of the former. Yeah. You know, it's, most people in a sales role will have had success at some point yeah. in, the, in their sales career. And because if they don't, they... It, it's hard. 
it's yeah. you know fa- failing failing at sales is is shit it's a really it's not a nice thing to do so 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 most people will have success so that means they know they, they are capable they're able yeah. they're able to do it so then you've got to say right okay do i think this person can do the job yes i can uh can, sorry do i think this person can sell and help in 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 an environment of sorts yes i do yeah. Are they right for this situation? I think you have to you have to make some decisions based on what they've done before, how they come across, the process that you run, and how you feel about them, yeah. how you feel about working with them. Uh, so, so if you can get if you can get that right, you know, more times than you get it wrong, I think you're going in the right direction. Um, in terms of giving them the tools and the space to be successful. Now, we've all had experience of salespeople that you give them space, they go and wander about in that space. Yeah. You know, we, we, you know, we, we've all had experience. You know, I, I've, I'm pretty sure that I've had at least two salespeople that work for me over the years who've had two jobs. I've, ne- I've never proved it, but I'm pretty yeah. sure I've had two people that are getting paid by two different companies, by us and by somebody else at the same time. And actually, and I know of one other, uh, it was only a couple of days and hey-ho, these things happen. No, yeah. Nobody was doing anything mean, it just the way it yeah. worked. But but two where I'm paying a salary and somebody else is paying a salary and, and, and it's so, you know, you you give people space and they, and they can you know yeah. you know make a fool of you but yeah. that is you know that's two out of thousands of salespeople yeah. I've worked with over the years so so the chances of that happening the chance of somebody coming in taking your money and not doing anything it is it it's low risk it happens yeah. but it's yeah. low risk so you've got to give them space you've got to give them the tools and then you've got to give them the support and the encouragement and the confidence that they've got time. Yeah. So, you know, there, there is, you know, I've, I've seen it with salespeople, you know, this idea, if you don't deliver your number this month, you're done. Yeah. Panic sets. Well, actually, one of two things that set in. Panic sets in and they start doing things that don't help them do deals yeah. or they start looking for another job. You're, pay, you're paying them whilst they get the next job. Yeah. So, you know, giving them confidence to be able to, giving them confidence and support and then trying to going back to what we talked about earlier on around behavioral stuff. You know, what, what talk to me about what you're doing next week, James? How are you thinking about that? What do you think about this? I'm thinking about doing something over here. Get get them involved and engaged. Yeah. And you know, we, we're we're talking. You know, we're talking about startups and scale ups at the moment. So there yeah. should be enough space to be able to do that sort of stuff. But giving and again, I go back to. You know, my you know my own personal life experiences where you know it it's taken longer than I would have liked it to at the time now now I know it takes 18 months at the time I thought it should take 18 minutes yeah so I, so I'm impatient I was a lot younger than I am now and hadn't done some of the stuff that I'd done and you know I I've always been what I've always been my own hardest taskmaster. Yeah. No, nobody's ever needed to give me a hard time for not doing a good job because because I because yeah. I, I beat myself up when I when I do that. So 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 getting somebody to understand that you know I'm 
I'm not expecting you to close a deal today, but I am expecting you to, you know, to talk to people, to learn something, to be able to be thinking about, you know, what that value prop looks like, to, to have a plan. Yeah. And 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 what I'm not what I'm not okay with is you spending the first three months planning, the second three months learning, yeah. the next three months reviewing your plan, and then you make a phone call. So yeah. I want you, you know, there are five or six things that I want you to be doing that demonstrate to me that your behaviors are more likely to deliver success. So, yeah. you, so you need to talk to people. So I, I I I talk to salespeople all the time. Go to meetings with your project people. Yeah. You know, sit with the developers. Yeah. You know, go go and go and find somebody who does something like what we do or something in a related industry. Talk to the investor and find go and spend time with people because that gives you stories to be able to share. Yeah. You know, I I think about you know the, the deals that I won early on in my in my career in, in tech sales were down to me being able to say, well, when I was at KPMG last week and we were doing this, this is how they were thinking about dealing with that problem. You know, that but but you know keep yourself keep yourself busy yeah. as opposed to making yourself look busy. You know, this idea of you know turning up very smart, shut and tight, you know, slightly different world that we live in now, yeah. shiny briefcase coat, right? I'm off to a meeting. You know, yeah. and, you know, if you think about the, I can't remember the actor's name in the full Monty who was putting his suit on and going to work every day and he wasn't going to work. He didn't have yeah. a job. He, yeah. You know, he, he was in the, he was in a mine or something like that. So, you know, keep yourself busy as opposed to making yourself look busy. You know, how, how and I ask those people how they're keeping themselves busy, what their plan is. Don't tell them what to do. Ask them what they're doing and talk to them about it. And, and, and confidence in, in my view, breeds confidence breeds confidence. You give if you tell somebody that you're supportive and you're confident, they'll go and do stuff that they wouldn't do. And yeah. I keep going, you know, good things happen to people who do good things. Yeah. I really appreciate all your time on this. There's been some absolutely gems of advice and experiences come out there for everybody. Before I let you go, you have had a so far, a, um, a pretty successful career. You've moved yourself along in everything that you've done. How do you keep improving yourself every day right now to, to keep yourself at the forefront of what you're doing? You're, you know, when you look at all the acquisitions that you've done over the last three years, that requires you to be um, on point pretty much every day. So, so I appreciate the compliment. I'm not sure the people that work around me would would recognise this idea of improving every day. For me, it's about learning every day. So, yeah. so I'm going to go back to to keeping busy. Yeah, you know, do, doing stuff all the time. There, there's the sales book on my bookcase, and in chapter one of that book, it's the first sale, first business self improvement book that I ever read about sales. First chapter of that book is make sure that you're doing the most productive thing that you can be doing at any minute of any day. Yeah. And if you do that, you'll be successful. And for me, it's about, you know, how, how do I learn? How, how am I increasing my understanding of the business, of the market, of people, of, you know, how things happen and, and, and investing Investing energy. So I talked yeah. about sales energy. Investing energy in doing things that you think are t- things that would be really easy not to do. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm traveling next week. Uh, I'm involved in a private equity networking thing um, that's, that, that's run by, uh, the, which I, I love, which is run by the guys at, at Marble Hill called Pep Talks. They've got one of their, their CEO events that was cancelled a few weeks ago for a whole pile of reasons. They've rescheduled it for an evening next week. And I will find the time to attend that next yeah. week. And it will be really easy at the end of the day to say, do you know what? I can't be bothered. I don't need to. I, there's, there's almost nothing I need to do. There's nothing I do every day that I need to do. There's, there, there are probably two or three things that if I don't do, there'll be a problem. So if I, if I don't sign off the payroll, there's a problem. Yeah. If I don't submit my board papers to the to the board in time for the board meeting, sorry, yeah. my board papers, the board papers. Yeah. Uh, if I don't do that, somebody's going to say where they are. But almost, you know, no, nobody. When, when you know, you 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 you, you know, when you get to see, so they talk about a CEO's job. A CEO's job is a lonely job. You know, the the adage of the you know why why do they say it's lonely at the top? Because it is. It is. So so because nobody ever asks you what you're doing. Yeah. You know, so so you have to, you have to, so you you know you have to motivate yourself to be doing stuff, and you know I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of doing stuff like this because I learn from stuff like this. I I learn about myself and about other people by talking about things, and that and that helps me. But just energy, focus, and quit questioning stuff all the time. All, 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 even the stuff you think you're right. Yeah. So I mean, I work with one of my best friends. I worked with for years. I got to know him through work for work for him for years and years and years. And he always used to say about me. He said, "Matt, your 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 worst reaction is almost always your first reaction. Sorry, your first reaction is almost always your worst reaction." Yeah. Um. And and learning from that and learning how to manage that and learn, you know, just you know, what 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 am I doing today that's going to make me a little bit better at my job tomorrow than I was yeah. today. And and I think if you keep if you keep trying, keep thinking about that, you, you will you will move in a positive direction. Is it is it improvement every day? I don't I don't know. So it's it's, it's an interesting part, and I think um, I do a a lot of research into the sporting world because I, I do believe that when you're pushing yourself within sport. There's a lot of correlation between that. And yeah. when you look at elite athletes, they talk about learning and you can only move forwards if you've learned something. And if you're learning every day, then every day you're putting something um, into it. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that as a leader, I can see quite frustrating when you see someone who's known something is and they haven't learned it because they haven't changed. It's like, you know, you've done it wrong and you've done the same thing again. So you haven't learned learning is the um, is the biggest thing and it when people say that they've stopped learning that's when they need to move and uh, and and go on to the next thing so so i learning and an improvement i think goes uh, completely hand in hand and, and, and what wanting wanting to do it Feel, feeling that you need to so know yeah. knowing that you'll never know everything yeah in fact you you'll always there will always be more stuff you don't know than you yeah. do know. so so it's impossible to think about that and and wanting to know a bit more yeah. You know, make putting some in, putting some energy into to understanding a bit more about things. And I think, you know, your your analogy around elite sports, I I always I think I think is you're you're spot on. I think there's one other thing in that that 
you know, I've always had a view that people at the very, very top of their game in sport, whatever sport it is, have always got something, I'm going to say not quite right, but yeah. let's say a little bit different about them. To, to want to do that and to, do, to put yeah. the time and the energy yeah. into that means that yeah. you've got to be a bit odd. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. your, your brain has to be slightly different. Yeah. And, you know, I think senior leadership in organisations is not very, and CEOs particularly, is not very different from that. No. You've, you've, got, you've got to be a bit peculiar. You've, yeah. got, to, you've got to want to make decisions. Well, and yeah. lots of people don't, and, and make them on your own. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, but all of those things, how do you do it better? How do you yeah. learn from it? How, yeah. And it, for me, for me, it's interesting. It's a passion. It's always been, you know, it's never, ever, ever a chore. It's nice. always naturally interesting, naturally interesting. Good. Awesome. Well, uh, Matt, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you very much for taking time out. I know your uh, schedule is busy, but I think the audience will really appreciate everything that you shared with us today. Great to talk to you. Thanks a lot. Thanks Cheers, a lot. James. Please click subscribe, like, leave a comment and turn on your notifications. We really love you to be involved with the tech sales craft and being part of the growing community. Thank you for being part of our journey.